found myself wondering, working through the store of Nehemiah, on a number of occasions, whether he wished he was back in Susa still pouring wine for Artaxerxes. He's had to face so many challenges. It begins with the ridicule of those opposing them, saying that a fox could jump on the wall and break it down. Then it was their threats to those who were working on the wall and their threats to those, their families living outside the wall. Um, and then there's the exhaustion that comes from coping with the work and also coping with the fear that meant that the labourers nearly ran out of energy. And they certainly, uh, from, they go from seeing it's difficult to seeing it's impossible. And as Nehemiah says, we prayed and we set a guard. He comes up with simple strategies and he accepts that the work slows down. Then suddenly we have this outbreak, as we looked at last week, of massive community instability and disunity caused by the way that some were exploiting others in the midst of this great uh, struggle. In that moment, was there actually a community to fight for? But at the beginning of today's reading, we see that the work has gone on incredibly well. The whole of the wall has been finished. There's only one thing left, and that's to set the gates in the wall. So it's a critical moment in the whole story. Just the walls to be fitted in the gate, and it will once again be a stronghold that will be strong and be able to be held. This is the last chance for the opponents. And at this moment, they switch their attention not to the whole community, they switch their attention to Nehemiah as its leader. In football parlance, they start playing the man, not the ball. They start to seek to target Nehemiah as a way of destroying the whole effort of the whole community. The first way they do that is through distraction. Having opposed Nehemiah at every point, they suddenly send a conciliatory message to him. Come and meet us in this plain, it's, it's neutral ground, it's, it's kind of halfway from Jerusalem, halfway from them. Let's meet there and let's talk this through. Let's be adult about this, clearly this is significant. Come, let's talk together. Let's reason this out. It's such a temptation for Nehemiah and for a leader in this moment. The enemies are looking like they're willing to meet him halfway. They want to discuss it. They want to talk it through. But it's a distraction. So Nehemiah refuses to go. He says, I'm in the middle of this great work. I'm not coming. Their desperation is seen in the fact that they send the message four times. Now, if they really wanted to meet him, they could have come, and meet, meet, come to meet him in Jerusalem, but that's not the purpose. The sending of the message is to lure him out of Jerusalem. Once they lure him out of Jerusalem, he is vulnerable. If he takes the soldiers with him, Jerusalem is vulnerable to attack. If he comes with just a small party, he is vulnerable to death by ambush. That's the purpose here. They are trying to lure him into a vulnerable position where they can finish him off. And the thing is, they're so far from Susa, so far from the capital, that they can blame it on all kinds of things. They just want to create facts on the ground that they can then explain at a later date. But Nehemiah will not be distracted. He refuses to go. They then turn second to slander slander. They send an open letter on the fifth occasion. 
An open letter simply means it has been read by everybody who has passed it from hand to hand. It, you might as well put it in the newspaper. Everyone who has, has handled this paper has read it and you can imagine the rumour spreading like wildfire. The whole purpose is to slander Nehemiah. It's to discredit him in the eyes of those who look to him and depend on him. And the charges are really serious. Ezra 4 tells of a previous attempt to rebuild the wall that failed. It failed because people slandered the, slandered the purpose of the Jews. It got back to Artaxerxes and he called a halt to the building of the wall. That's really what they're pointing to again when they talk about the, you're plotting a rebellion, you're, you're planning to have yourself proclaimed king, you've paid for prophets to do that. Really what they're doing is saying we think we know what you're doing and actually even if that's not what you're doing that's what we're going to tell to the whole people of uh, the whole group of people who are looking to you uh, for leadership and looking, you, looking to you as somebody they can trust. The people in Jerusalem remember what happened a few years ago under Ezra 4. That, that's the, it's the memory of that that they're trying to bring back into the present. So what are they saying? They're basically saying this is all about your ambition, Nehemiah. You're leading these people astray. You're leading them to in a place of great vulnerability. Um, and they're basically saying this is being said. And if you don't come, this will get back to the king. We're going to write to the king and accuse you of disloyalty, accuse you of actually doing all of this so you can become the king of Judah, king enthroned in Jerusalem. So they're slandering him. They're inviting everyone who, who reads the letter and then talks about it and gossips about it to everyone else. They are inviting them to question Nehemiah's motives, to question Nehemiah's loyalty. And again, not only does this sow dissatisfaction and fear in the community because, gosh, can we trust Nehemiah? Is he leading us astray? Is he actually leading us to, into armed conflict with Babylon? And we know what happened last time. All of that stuff is being, is being raised up by this. But actually also, of course, they're trying to get him to come to negotiate. Once again, they are playing the man, not the ball. Once again, they are trying to lure him into a vulnerable place so that they can kill him so they can ambush him and bring the whole of the effort of the Jews to an end. The third way they seek to take Nehemiah out is by getting him to discredit himself. He goes to the house of Shemaiah, a known prophet, presumably because he's been told that Shemaiah has a word from the Lord for him. The word is all of fear. It's basically people are coming to kill you. They're going to come by night to kill you. You need to run. You need to run away. The Lord is telling you to run. That's what he's told by Shemaiah. Run to the temple. Seek sanctuary there. What can possibly be wrong about that? Well, it's still building on the, th the earlier threats. You know, he probably thought he was going to be ambushed. He's now being told that the ambush is coming to him. But actually, how can Nehemiah expect the other people to stand steadfast in Jerusalem if he runs away? If he runs away, he is going to discredit himself and he is going to really challenge the morale of the people because he's then saying, don't do as I do, but do as I say. There's another aspect to this, though, as well. 
Shemaiah is telling him that the Lord is telling Nehemiah to run and take sanctuary in the temple, in the places reserved for the priests within the temple. So he's actually being told to break God's law and run and take sanctuary in a place reserved for the priests. So why does that matter? Well, again, if, he's, if he is claiming that he is leading God's people at God's direction, how far will he be discredited if he breaks God's law? And also, he'll alienate the priests and the Levites and all of those who hold the sanctity of the temple as, as critically important. So in this moment, in this moment we are told, a prophet has been hired by those who oppose Nehemiah to give him a word from the Lord which will cause him to discredit himself in, in before all of the people. First because he will show cowardice, not strength, and second because he is being told to break God's law, which will dishonour the Lord and will also discredit him in the, in the, in the hearts of all those who depend on him. So we have these three strategies, three ways that they try to play the man of the ball, three ways they try to take Nehemiah, the leader of the people, out of the game. It's first by distracting him, by luring him to an ambush. It's second by slandering him, by inviting people to question his motivation, question his reputation, question his loyalty to the king. And the third way is really to get people to question his loyalty to God's law and his courage. All of this is intended to discredit Nehemiah in the face of the, all of these challenges and disgrace him uh, before the people. So what does all this mean for us today? Well, first it challenges us about how we handle spiritual power. We see spiritual power and uh, position being badly misused here. Uh, prophets are paid to have a word from the Lord, uh, or they are really close to those in, who are opposing Nehemiah and therefore speak against him. They are misusing their power and it nearly destroys God's purpose and nearly takes one of God's anointed leaders down. I guess the question I want to ask all of us is, how ready are we to hear the Lord correcting us? How ready are we to lay our whole lives before the Lord and say, not my will, but yours? Sometimes when we're so close to something and so committed to it, or we like it so much the way it is, we struggle to hear anything other than what we want to hear from God. And when we're not listening like that, then prayer just becomes an echo chamber. We only hear the echo back of what we already think. So if you're passionately committed about something, lay it before the Lord and simply say, Lord, am I wrong about this? Uh, we have to come to that place of being able to say, not my will, but yours. One of our discernment practices as a leadership group is to pray that prayer. We go off in silence and we spend 10 minutes when we're considering something saying, can I come to that Gethsemane place of indifference, not my will, but yours? And sometimes we can't, sometimes we're so involved in it, so embroiled in it, and we just have to confess that, whether that's within the staff team or within the standing committee, we just confess and say, I, I'm not going to influence the outcome because I'm just too close to it. And we trust the, the spirit within the rest of the group to hear the Lord for us and with us. 
we have to come to that place of being able to say, Lord, not my will, but yours. It's not my position. It's not my power. It's yours. It's all about your glory. So I guess the question is, have there been any times where you've been tempted to use, misuse spiritual power or position to get what you wanted, to get what you wanted, come what may? The second challenge is about gossip and slander. We see the way that Nehemiah's reputation is trashed by those who oppose him. It's easy, and haven't we all done it about members of the government recently, it's easy to rip the, those in leadership over us to shreds, whether it's in our families, whether it's in church, whether it's in, at work or in the community. It is so easy to talk about them as though they have no feelings and then just to see the possible worst, con worst construction of the motives imaginable. It's really destructive. It's really destructive for culture in, in an organisation like a school or a college. It's really destructive in a business. It's really destructive in a church where we're not prepared to view the actions of others with grace. And when we start to trash someone's reputation and it starts to spread, um, that's really, really corrosive. So in all of those contexts that you're in every day or every week or every month, where have you been guilty of uh, sliding into gossip and slander? Where have you tarnished someone's reputation? Where have you speculated wildly on the basis of a few suppositions and ended up you know, condemning them outright? It's really tempting. We've all got involved in it one way or another, but it is corrosive of culture. What we need is to be a people who uh, respond to challenges with grace. We put the best possible construction upon somebody's motivation rather than the worst. We look for the good in what they're doing. We look for the things that we can praise rather than the things that aren't as we would like them to be. Gossip and slander uh, nearly stopped the building of the wall. It nearly took Nehemiah down. Where have we, as people in all the different contexts we're in, where have we been guilty of the same thing? And is there anyone that we might need to make amends with, uh, say sorry to, because we realise that we've been tearing them down? And the third thing it teaches us is about the significance of discernment for leaders. Nehemiah is able to see through Shemaiah straight away because he's close to the Lord, because he knows God's word. He discerns what's going on in that moment and refuses to be intimidated, refuses to run away. Discernment is so much at the heart of all of, all of our leadership positions, wherever they are. The first thing that we need to be discerning about is ourselves. Uh, Paul writes, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. So that's the first thing we need to be discerning about is where are we with the Lord? Are we sensitive to what the Lord's Spirit is saying to us? Have we become hardened? Have we become cool? Have we become distant in our relationship with the Lord? That's the first thing. And then we need to pray for discernment about those who are coming to us. Uh, Nehemiah has discernment in that moment about what spirit is activating Shemaiah. He knows he's being lied to. So we need to pray for the gift of distinguishing between spirits. 
And when somebody brings a word to us, we'll be able to discern, as Nehemiah did, uh, what's motivating that word, whether it's genuinely from the Lord, whether it's genuinely just somebody's passionate about something and is only hearing that. And then we also need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for wisdom, as James 1.5 talks us. We need to ask the Father for wisdom, and he gives it generously without finding fault. All of those of us who are leaders need to be become uh, discerning people, discerning about where we are with the Lord, discerning what the Lord is doing, and also discerning what's going on in those around us. And we need to be people who can pray that Gethsemane prayer. It needs to be about what the Lord wants, not what we want. It needs to be about the Lord's purpose, not my purpose. We need to get to that place where we can pray with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, not my will, but yours. Nehemiah is an extraordinary leader. He manages to step around misused spiritual power. He manages to navigate gossip and slander. And he manages to discern what God is saying in the moment. And having led the people through all of these challenges, all of his labours are crowned with success. And that's what we come to next week. Thanks for listening.